it's Nick Austin, and on this edition of the podcast, with the news of Detroit-based Henry Ford Health and Ascension Michigan Hospital Systems having a new partnership they describe as a joint venture, we took an opportunity to look at both what the ramifications of that might be for us locally in Southeast Michigan, as well as the landscape of hospitals nationwide, including mergers and acquisitions. Now, in this case, it's been announced as a joint partnership, but it's part of a rising trend that we're seeing nationwide. What could that mean for us in Michigan? What are the effects of these mergers, these partnership agreements that we've seen throughout the nation? Why are they on the rise in hospital systems around the country? We spoke with Christopher Garman, an assistant professor of health administration at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, to get his take on what's behind the trend. Chris, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you, too, because I'll tell you one thing I'm not an expert in. It's in hospital mergers and acquisitions. Mm. So the first thing that I want to do is just start out here. Uh, One of the things that I think we've been seeing a lot is there's this trend of mergers, not just here in Michigan, but also nationwide. Uh, What's going on with the healthcare industry? What happened to the days of just the local hospital that you had that was independently run? Why are we seeing so much more consolidation in the market? There are a lot of factors behind that, but uh, yeah, it's um, uh, hospitals can merge to uh, lower their costs, to improve quality, to get more leverage in their negotiations with health insurers. Uh, a lot of these factors we've seen over the past decade, um, a hospital merger wave uh, after the Affordable Care Act. Uh, there were cuts in Medicare payments, and many people have pointed to those as reasons hospitals merged to try to get that money back from uh, their negotiations with health insurers. So a lot of factors uh, behind it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that's also uh, on my mind here is that I think in this specific instance that we have, they were really clear to state this isn't a merger. This is a joint partnership. So for you, how would you think of the distinction between what a merger is and what a joint partnership agreement like this might be? Well, it depends on the details of of the transaction. Uh, I would want to know, will health insurers be able to contract separately with these entities after the joint venture? Or will they have to contract with all of them together? Uh, How will the monies flow between the two organizations? Will they basically share a pot of money after the merger or or will that be separate somehow? Um, You know, how, how will... Uh, clinical operations be integrated? Lots of questions that y- that you'd need to answer in order to really understand the effects of this uh, joint venture. Yeah, and when it comes to healthcare, it's kind of a market that uh, can seem to be cornered. I think it's one of the reasons why the Biden administration in 2021 issued an executive order directing the Federal Trade Commission and the U.S. Justice Department to reevaluate and toughen up rules for mergers and acquisitions. Now, Again, in this case, it's a partnership. The details are still coming out. But what are the types of things that the courts, the FTC, the Justice Department look at when they evaluate whether or not they're going to let a deal between two hospitals go through? Uh, First, I think the most important uh, factor, um, what will its effect be on competition? Uh, How much competition exists between these two systems currently and how much competition will be lost. Uh, There are a lot of new tools that the agencies have to evaluate that competition. And and that's the most important factor. Um, What effect will this merger have on 
on prices, on quality, and on access to care. Those are the big three things that the agencies look at when, when evaluating a hospital merger. So they'll carefully look at all those things to determine whether this is good for the people of the Detroit area. Yeah. We're speaking with Christopher Garman, an assistant professor of health administration at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. We want to speak with you as well as someone who's going to be affected here uh, by this uh, potential joint partnership. It will need to get clearance again, but it's been announced. Are you someone that works in the healthcare industry? Are you somebody who uh, has been keeping an eye on this? How do you feel about hospitals joining forces in this matter? Is it something that it concerns you or is it something that you think can lead to better outcomes uh, for your health care. In fact, have you recently been to the hospital? What's that experience been like for you? Give us a call, 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019, and we can work you into the conversation. Uh, Working you back into this conversation, though, Chris, one of the things that I was thinking about when I heard this announcement, which, again, just kind of dropped on folks and you're not thinking about uh, access to care, hospital systems, they're so important to all of us that people are concerned, as you mentioned, as what effects it might have on the care that I have here. So let's start with the rise in mergers uh, that's been happening nationwide as an example. Have we seen what these mergers of these hospital systems, what effect it's had on patients and patient care? So the, the, the effects on, on costs are very clear. Uh, effects on quality and access to care, uh, the research is a bit more equivocal. Uh, but on balance, um, the research shows that uh, mergers of competing hospitals tend to reduce quality on average. Uh, in particular, there was a great paper a few years ago uh, that, that found that on average, uh, patient satisfaction goes down after a merger of competing hospitals. There are also a number of situations where, um, and this may not be as much of a, a factor for the Detroit area, but in some rural areas, after acquisitions, after a system um, acquires a hospital, uh, but in, in, in other cases as well, Uh, hospitals will um, eliminate their obstetrics department. So there are a lot of places that are labor and delivery deserts in this country where you have to travel a long way in order to deliver a baby. Uh, So sometimes services can be eliminated, but sometimes a merger is necessary to to keep those services available to the community. Uh, it It all just depends on the particular transaction. Yeah, and you know, that's something that's also going to be at issue here because one of the things that this partnership brings into question is the fact that, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, Ascension Michigan, which is part of an Ascension group that uh, operates nationwide, it's a Catholic system as opposed to the secular Mm -hmm. one that uh, we had with Henry Ford Health. What does that mean? It means that as a Catholic hospital, it has to follow criteria and dictates of the U.S. Conference of Catholic bishops, which explicitly forbid things like providing abortions or managing care, providing care, specific cares for LGBTQ patients. So when you talk about modified access to uh, uh, care, are these some of the things that you have seen happen with these mergers uh, that have happened nationwide? Yes, certainly when uh, a Catholic system is involved, again, depending on how the merger is structured, uh, the merger in this case, uh, it may be structured in a way that all those services would continue to be 
offered. But in in other cases, when when a Catholic uh, system acquires a hospital, many of those services may be discontinued uh, because of the the Catholic healthcare directive. So that's something that uh, the regulators will have to take a look at. Uh, both at the state level and at the federal level. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, we've been talking a little bit about mergers here. I want to, again, specifically point out that Henry Ford and Ascension, when they announced this partnership, they said it's a joint venture. It appears to me as what the operating agreement might be is that for the hospitals that uh, Ascension was having a difficult time of running and turning a profit on, that the Henry Ford would manage those hospitals as opposed to, again, as you mentioned earlier, is there money being transacted back and forth? In this case, they say no. So it seems as though they'll just be operating those hospitals. But part of me wonders uh, about with regulatory, the regulatory nature and scheme of these things, you know, with the FTC, with the Justice Department, with local uh, prosecutors and uh, attorney generals taking a close look at these things. Uh, have you seen out there attempts by people to maybe get around or circumvent uh, closer scrutiny by having separate agreements uh, or different agreements that aren't specifically mergers so that they can maybe enact what they want to without getting as close of a regulatory lens? Certainly, that you can structure a, a hospital merger in many different ways. Uh, the, there's uh, partial ownership where a hospital system may buy just 25% of a hospital, um, so it doesn't buy a controlling share, so it doesn't get to call the shots. Uh, certainly seen that. Um, there are other mergers. Uh, there was one in Toledo just about uh, 10, 12 years ago where they structured the transaction in such a way that it didn't get uh, a prior approval. It didn't have to go through the merger review process because of the way they structured the transaction. Um, but it was still challenged by the FTC uh, after after it had been consummated. So yeah, there are a lot of ways to structure a transaction that may affect uh, the incentives of the merging parties after the merger and and may affect whether it's reviewed at all. All right. 313-577-1019 is the phone number to get involved with the conversation as we speak with Chris Garman, an assistant professor of health administration at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. I like this conversation so much, not even going to bring up how the Lions took down Kansas City to open off the NFL season. I'm not going to rub it in you, you Chris. To, you had good to people. say that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving to Robert in Detroit right now. Robert, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi. Um, I think this idea of, of competition is really just a joke. Uh, I believe that the hospitals and the healthcare insurance companies uh, should be not for profit. I think that doctors are getting paid, and all healthcare workers are getting paid less and less. There's no incentive for them to go out on their own because they're being swallowed up by these huge corporations that are setting the prices. It doesn't matter what the costs are, but, the, but what you will be reimbursed is is always less and less and and these doctors are being forced to be employees of these huge corporations that pay them very little and force them to see mm. hundreds of patients a, a day and i also uh, we might have lost Robert there. I think you get the sentiment of what he was saying, which is interesting to me because I thought that the doctor's lobby was a powerful lobby. But I will defer to you on Chris. What response do you have to uh, Robert's uh, point in question there? 
I, I think this is a great point, and this is something that uh, the the FTC has started looking at, looking at more carefully. Uh, what effect do mergers like this have on labor markets, on um, the wages of doctors, the wages of nurses in particular? And research uh, has been emerging over the past five years showing that hospital mergers, not only uh, mergers of competing hospitals, not only do they lead to higher prices, but they can also lead to lower wages for nurses because nurses only have one choice of an employer in an area, for instance. Uh, they can also lead to lower wages overall for even people outside of the healthcare industry. Uh, most people get their health insurance through their employer. If that health insurance price goes up, those premiums, what does the employer do? They cut back on wages to compensate. So um, these, these hospital mergers can have a big effect even on people outside of the healthcare industry. And that's why it's so important to take a close look at them. Yeah, and we're going to take a closer look at uh, how the trend has been affecting folks nationwide so we can get an idea of what we might be experiencing here and get an idea of what the healthcare industry is like for you out there in Detroit as we continue here on Detroit Today. When we return, we are going to get to the phone lines right now as we have some really interesting calls. A lot of people are really intrigued by the ramifications, the potential ramifications of this joint partnership announced by Henry Ford Health and Ascension, Michigan. We'll get into that more and your calls when we return on Detroit Today. It's Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, and we are discussing the joint partnership agreement that we have learned about from Henry Ford Health and Ascension Michigan, two of the largest providers in Michigan, something that has an opportunity to really have an effect on the care that we receive here in Michigan. We're trying to figure out what uh, different partnerships around the nation, what this the what it's looked like for folks there, so we can get an idea of what we might be looking at here. How is it different? How is it the same? And we're hearing from you. That's why we're joined by a great guest again, Christopher Garman, Assistant Professor of Health Administration at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. And right now we're also joined by Sarah, who doesn't want to reveal her name. So we'll make sure that we go by Sarah as the pseudonym. But Sarah from Farmington, we want to let you in on the conversation here on Detroit Today. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just want to share that I recently, my hospital that I work at, recently went through a big merger here in the metro Detroit area, and it's really affected our nurse um, matrix in, the, in a bad way. Um, so we get less um, nurses for our patients, and on night shift, we even go down a nurse. And it doesn't make sense in our unit because we do around-the-clock care every two to three hours. And when we get sicker patients, we just don't have the nurses to accommodate that. Yeah, you know, I appreciate this insight. I want to make sure I understand one thing, though. You use the term nurse matrix, which I'm not that familiar with. So for folks who might not know it, what exactly does that mean? What were you referring to? So the matrix is like how many patient or how many nurses you'll have Mm -hmm. on the unit, depending on how many patients you have. And so we used to have more of an acuity-based matrix. So if you had sicker patients, you could get more nurses to help accommodate that. Mm. Now we just have, okay, this is how many patients are on the unit. This is how many nurses you get. And it's less than what we would get 
in the past. Well, all right. Uh, again, Sarah, I do appreciate that insight. Chris, I think you alluded to this a little bit when we started off the show, but yeah. is that something that you've also seen a trend? What response do you have to that insight? Yeah, I, I think that's a great, uh, great point. Uh, nursing staff ratios, that's one way of measuring quality. Certainly, the more nurses you have, uh, high quality nurses to uh, to care for patients, the the better the quality of care you're going to have. And uh, one of the things you can see with hospital mergers, sometimes when competing hospitals merge, quality goes down. That's one aspect of it. Uh, quality is very hard to measure, but that can be one aspect of quality decreasing um, when when you have competing hospitals merging and patients have fewer choices the hospitals may think well you know we we can ease up on quality uh where where else are patients going to go uh you know they they have to go to us they don't they don't have any other choice so we don't have to maintain our quality as as much as we did before so and that that can be one of the the big problems of a merger of competing hospitals and something that uh regulators need to look at carefully I appreciate the insight there, Sarah, in Farmington Hills. That means we have an open line for you right now listening in Detroit, 313-577-1019. And, you know, I said listening to Detroit. You can be listening everywhere, man. If you're hanging out in Tahiti right now and enjoying Detroit today, you can still give us a call. I'm all right with that also. 313-577-1019, and we can work you into the conversation. Chris, one of the things that I saw of these partnerships, one of the reasons why some of these hospitals, especially across state lines when it happens, are trying to group up together is to battle insurance companies. They say that there's too much of a pressure on their expenses by insurance companies, which are able to beat them down. So in order to leverage money from the insurance companies back, they may necessarily need a better body. That seems like, on the outset, to be a battle between hospitals and insurance companies. So first of all, is that true? And second of all, if it's just those two big dogs fighting, how does that affect me? Why would I care as a consumer about this fight? Well, it, it depends on uh, what's happening in the insurance market. But yeah, that's a big reason why you see these hospital mergers. Uh, hospitals want to gain leverage in their negotiations with health insurers. Um, what effect that has on, on patients, on employers, on uh, people buying health insurance really depends on the health insurance market. If, um, if you have only one health insurer in an area, a, a monopoly health insurer, well, that, that may be a good thing. That may uh, kind of balance things out a little bit more than before. If you have a lot of competition in the insurance market, though, what that can do is increase health insurance premiums because those health insurers have to pass that on to customers, to employers, and that just ends up increasing uh, everybody's premiums. And as I mentioned, for employers, that can lead to lower wages as they try to compensate uh, mm-hmm. for those benefits. One so of the th- it all depends on what's happening there in the insurance market. Yeah, you know, and one of the things I would be interested in is we went through a really significant shock to the healthcare system when we had to go through the pandemic and the initial stages of COVID-19 yeah. and our response to that. I have to believe an event like that, like a once in a I was about to say generation, once in a century event like that will have a shock on a system. Uh, what did you see that have an effect on? How did that operate? How did that reverberate through the industry? What effects have you seen? Well, we really saw that that affected certain uh, people more than others. If you were in a um, working in, in restaurants, working in uh, theaters, uh, you know, you, you lost your job. It, 
uh, and you may have lost your health insurance with that job. Uh, so it, it, it affected certain populations more than others. Um, and one of the things that I've seen from hospitals, and you know, maybe this is a reason behind this merger, I'm not sure, but a lot of systems are coming together or at least talking with each other, thinking, hey, we, we really failed during the pandemic. How can, we, how can we do things better the next time? And, and I think that might be one of the reasons why they're maybe merging or doing something short of a merger right. to try to coordinate uh, care so it can be better the next time than right. it was with the COVID-19 pandemic. That's right. And we need we'll, we, we will get more details. And as we do on Detroit Today, we will update that. Currently announced as a joint partnership. It seems as though from what I'm reading, Henry Ford is saying they're just basically going to manage Ascension Hospitals, but then use the banner of Henry Ford. What that means, I don't know. That's why the FTC, that's why the regulators take a look at it to confirm that's what it's going to be. As we know more, we'll let you know more. Uh, but we all also want to get into some more of these calls. That's why we have Frank in South Lyon. Frank, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hi, good morning. Um, I, I'm retired and I uh, use uh, Medicare. And, uh, you know, I'd like to, this idea about vertical integration of an industry where, uh, you know, one company controls everything from the supply of durable goods and medications, the insurance companies. Uh, I just feel like we've, we've kind of like in, a, in effect have like a national health care system, except not everybody has equal access to mm. it. And, you know, they're, you know, they go through and, and get the people that can pay. And then the people that can't are just left out. And, uh, and, and, you know, the idea of, you know, equal access, equal protection, you know, under the Constitution yeah. has got to be blended in there. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that point. Uh, I'm going to let you go ahead right now. What response do you have uh, for the caller, Chris? Yeah, uh, that's a great point. And I think that this is something that is not talked about enough. When uh, we, we have, everybody has different health insurance. Some people have Medicaid, some people have Medicare, some people have private insurance. If you have private insurance and you go to the hospital, that hospital on average is receiving two and a half times as much in revenue from your stay as they would in an identical stay from a Medicare or a Medicaid patient. So what, what does that do? The incentives then are for that hospital to locate their clinics, locate their hospitals, locate their doctors in areas where most people are privately insured and avoid the areas where people have Medicare and Medicaid insurance. It's one of the reasons why we have the healthcare disparities uh, access to care disparities that we have in this country is because you have certain areas where most people have Medicare and Medicaid insurance, but there are no doctors, there are no hospitals. And then you look at other areas that are, are relatively wealthy, where most of the people have private insurance, plenty of hospitals, plenty of doctors. That's one of the big problems that we have is the different prices that are being paid for exactly the same services. And it's giving hospital systems perverse incentives to locate in certain areas and not others. And, and I think that's something that needs to be talked about more. Yeah, no. And, and one of the reasons why I'm glad you brought it up right here in Frank and South Line again, I'm glad that you called to let us know that point so we could get that insight out as we move now to Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Good morning. Here is a, a novel idea. Instead of merging hospital services, uh, why don't hospitals get together and form their own insurance company? 
Uh, they can cut out the middleman of a Blue Cross or an Aetna or a United and do that amongst themselves. You know, you're you're raising my alarm bells from antitrust that I took back in my second year of law school, Bernadette. But I'm going to go ahead, Chris, and let you respond. Why not? That could be the great the the great equalizer, right? Well, many hospital systems do that. Uh-oh. That that is actually a trend that you're seeing more of. Uh, Kaiser in in California, Kaiser Permanente, they offer their own. They have their own hospitals, doctors, and their own insurance. Geisinger in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Uh, more um, hospital systems are coming together and offering their own insurance to employers, cutting out the middleman. Uh, there are also related um, organizations called accountable care organizations where you have doctors come together. It's not a merger, uh, so it doesn't have the same effect of a merger, but they come together to better manage the quality and cost of their beneficiaries. And there's a lot of research showing that in certain cases that can lead to lower cost and improved quality um, when they when they take on that risk together for their beneficiary. So it's kind of like an insurance uh, an insurance plan. So yeah, we're seeing that more and more. It's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I think that in many cases that can benefit patients by increasing some competition in the health insurance market. Bernadette, I love you bringing up that insight. And if and when in five to 10 years that happens here in Michigan, you record this audio and spike the football. Let everybody know that you were the one that <laughs> caused it to happen in our market. As we continue right now, moving to Jenny, another uh, individual who's in the industry using a a pseudonym. So, Jenny, we understand that, not revealing the identity. But go ahead, Jenny, you're on Detroit today. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Well, incidentally, I was just calling to say I work for Henry Ford. I don't have any complaints, honestly. I think they're doing a decent job. But they own half insurance. Mm. They already do. All right. So, that's the same. It just goes hand in hand with what we're talking about here. And the only the weakness I see about it, aside from just like all the conflicts possible, is, for instance, I have a transgender child, and we can't find care anywhere in our area because we have to go to Henry Ford clinicians. Mm. We have to use the HAP insurance, and they aren't aware of their own blind spots because they are the insurance and the provider. Another point. You know, Jenny, before I let you go, you don't have to give too much identifying information. Like, what area are you talking about traveling from in order to get to Henry Ford so that you can get that care? Where are you coming from? What kind of distance are you driving, traveling to accomplish that? I I live in southeast Michigan, and I have yet to find a group of caring clinicians for my transgender child through the system. That's my main thing. I'm Mm. in discussions with the insurance company to try and go outside of the insurance company and outside of Henry Ford to find what we're looking for. But I'm sure, I mean, it seems like Henry Ford is headed in that direction, but it just, there's a lot of conflict of interest there when your provider is also your insurance company. I appreciate the call, Jenny, and the insight. Chris, go ahead with your response. No, I think it's a great point, and that's something we need to be careful about with a merger like this. What effect will it have on access to care? Will this mean that certain services will no longer be available, uh, or will it mean that certain services will be available that weren't available before? And I think when you have a Catholic system involved, there's always the concern about reproductive health care services and uh, services uh, to like transgender services. So 
it's something that we we really the regulators have to look at carefully. Yeah, yeah, Jenny. Again, thank you for calling with that insight here on Detroit today. We got another call from Janelle in Royal Oak, who said she worked in delivery at Ascension and can't get birth control. She's interested in this joint partnership that has been announced by Henry Ford with Ascension, the the Catholic provider. She's interested in Henry Ford managing the Catholic hospital, hoping hoping that the politics of this will change. Now, one of the things that we did see in the stories that have come out is that uh, the joint partnership between Henry Ford and Ascension would uh, fall in line with Ascension's requirements and uh, what their responsibilities are as a result of being part of that Catholic network. So we're not sure how much it will have an impact on it. Again, this is a moving story. We will continue to follow it up as details come out. A little bit tight-lipped right now with some of the details as I guess they're concerned about, you know, regulators have to go through the whole process of getting the thing approved, hoping to be able to launch with this management agreement in 2024. But it is something we will take a look at and I do appreciate that insight from Janelle one of the things we're talking about again access to care especially if you're someone looking to receive an abortion which is legal in Michigan looking to receive care for your LGBTQ child yourself having access to that what will it mean for that uh, is one of the things as we continue our conversation with Chris Garman assistant professor of health administration at the University of Michigan Kansas City looping in Aaron right now on the east side of Detroit Aaron go ahead you're on Detroit today yes so often hospitals and insurance companies cloud their actions in incomprehensible language when it comes to news releases joint venture seems to be another mystery term um Both of you have used the term access to care in this segment. Outside of of the public relations world, what does access to care mean? Access if you're near a hospital, access if you have money. It seems a a term so broad, it's meaningless. Yeah, you know, Aaron, I appreciate that. That's a good question. And, you know, uh, yeah, I'll let you take the shot at it first, Chris. Go ahead. Yeah, it means a lot of things. Um, First of all, is is that service offered at all? Uh, that's the most important thing for access to care. It, it, does the hospital offer the service to anyone? But even if it offers the service, you bring up a great point. At what cost? How much do you have to pay? How much is your your copay or your coinsurance when you get that service? Um, if Do you have insurance or not? Does your insurance cover that service? All of these things factor into your access to care. How how long do you have to wait in order to get an appointment? There's research showing that if you have Medicaid, you have to wait longer to get an appointment than if you have private insurance. That impacts access to care if you have to wait a month in order to get an appointment. So there are a lot of factors that go into access to care and a lot of ways that a merger can affect access to care. Uh, most importantly, whether that service is offered, but all of those other factors too, cost, how long you have to wait, um, and 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 whether you have insurance. Yeah, Aaron, I really appreciate that call from the east side, helping clarify, helping make sure everybody understands we're on the same page, what we're talking about here on Detroit Today. As we move right now to our next call, Jenny in Lincoln Park. Jenny, go ahead. You're on Detroit Today. Good morning. I appreciate that topic. And um, I just wanted to know, um, you know, what the speculation would be, whether there would be um, a a greater potential or a less potential uh, for development of a, of a union uh, with a merger like that. Um, you know, mm. and, uh, we're lacking uh, 
you know, unions and a lot of health care in Southeast Michigan. And I just wondered, you know, um, based on your experience, what the prospects would be, whether it be, you know, uh, whether it would negatively impacted or positively uh, potentially, you know, have a favorable outcome for the potential to unionize. Thank yeah, you. yeah, yeah. Jenny, I do appreciate that. Again, details still coming out about this, but generally speaking, from what you've seen uh, nationwide and the various types of agreements and arrangements that we have out there, Chris, what response do you have in terms of the ability, the potential for folks to unionize uh, post these types of agreements? I don't think anybody's done research on that question in particular, but I know that there has been research done about the effects of hospital mergers, mergers of competing hospitals in particular on uh, the markets for nurses, labor markets, um, how, you know, what effect it has on how many nurses are hired and what their wages are. And the, and the results of that research show that when you have mergers of competing hospitals on average, it can lower the wages for nurses. So I think that it, it could, that's something that uh, the FTC is looking at more closely now with hospital mergers. It's something that could affect um, the, the the wages of nurses and their working conditions. So it's something that uh, th- that they have to look at closely. I'm, I'm not sure what effect it would have on the ability to unionize, but I think whether you're, you're in a nurse's union or not, it could make it harder in negotiating with that more powerful hospital system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, before we let you go, one thing that I did want to make sure I uh, got into, especially with your background uh, and uh, knowledge of antitrust and uh, FTC work, what are the challenges that the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, face when they're trying to restrict anti-competitive behavior in markets like these, what do you see out there? What should people be uh, looking at, the factors they should be looking at, the challenges that the FTC has in restricting this behavior in the market? Well, the challenge is it, it, if, if the FTC and it, its investigation determines that this, this merger or any other merger is anti-competitive, in order to stop it, they have to challenge it in federal court. And that can be a very costly endeavor. Uh, it takes a lot of resources to, to challenge a hospital merger. Um, and there are lots of hospital mergers out there, and, and the FTC's budget hasn't changed much in the past 10, 15 years. So it is very difficult to challenge hospital mergers. Sometimes they have to kind of pick and choose their fights, uh, which which mergers they're going to challenge. Um, so that that's something, that's just the reality of it. It can be very difficult. It can be a high burden to show that a hospital merger is likely to be anti-competitive. And so it's it, it's a big challenge for the federal enforcers to do that when yeah. they when they determine something is a problem. Not a big challenge. Understanding, getting insight into this world with you, Chris Garman, assistant professor of health administration at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Thank you so much for helping us understand this very complex topic a little bit better. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and me, Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Podcast editing by David Lyons. And our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET in Detroit. You can support the show by leaving a rating or a comment. Thanks for listening.